What is a decision you're glad you made that not many people supported at the time? That is the question for today's episode of the Cafe Ribbit podcast, and I asked it to people on the streets of Philadelphia, mostly in Rittenhouse Square and a couple in my suburb neighborhood. Since I started the Cafe Ribbit podcast, I've always wanted to interview people in the street. I love talking to strangers. It's a blank slate relationship. You know nothing about each other. You can be as vulnerable as you want to, and then you'll probably never see them again. The pitch that I introduced myself with to strangers changed over the course of interviewing, and it ended up being, Hi, my name's Jack. Uh, I have a... (laughs) I would actually put my hand over my heart, When I would say, hi, my name's Jack. So, hi, my name's Jack. I have a podcast called Cafe Ribbit, and I interview people on the street for it. Are you interested in participating? When I first started asking people, I was saying, I interview random people on the street. And I stopped doing that once this guy sitting on a bench in a purple polo with a a crucifix necklace told me, I'm not random. And I was like, oh, I guess we're not random. We all chose to come to the park and sit on a bench. You can listen to my answer at the very end of the podcast. I'm kind of hiding it on purpose. Big news for the podcast is that we have a fake sponsor now. It is a fake sponsor, but a real company. And that company is my company, John Lundquist LLC. So I guess legally on the podcast airwaves, I should keep it vague and say, brought to you by John Lundquist LLC. And if you can hear my barking dog, that's Finn. Yeah, Finn is a huge supporter of John Lundquist LLC because He needs videos, illustration, uh, miniature sculptures to impress all of the lady dogs around the block. But yeah, check out my portfolio at caferibbit.com slash freelance. On to the interviews. I'm going to make this super simple and kind of not all that deep. Um, My tattoo. Oh, what tattoo? Uh, Right here on my shoulder. And I have, I'm a big fan of tattoos. I have, I have a fair amount of them on my body. But this was the biggest, and I only did, I'm 61. And I did it um, probably a couple of years ago. Um, not many people were, there was more like, <laughs> really? <laughs> you know, like, Can you describe the tattoo? And I'm a teacher, and you know, so it's like, um, it's, it's just flowers. I mean, it's lovely. Um, and, and it's not offensive in any way and it's not weird. Um, and, 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 and I have to say, you know, the many people weren't mean spirited about it. It was just a surprise and kind of like, Oh, you sure you want to do that? You know? And I'm like, yeah, no, I'm a thousand percent sure. And I have not regretted it. As a matter of fact, I'm getting it extended, uh, next month. So that's awesome. And I bet your students supported it too. Well, you know, I, I, I don't ask them. <laughs> 
<laughs> but they have never seemed offended by it. Let's put it that way. So I just, it's just, I love them. I feel good about it. I don't feel like age has anything to do with it. What's a decision you're glad you made that not many people supported at the time? I'm a pastor, and uh, I love people. And some in the ministry don't love people at the level that I do, and we have a conference that we meet every Monday, two months off for the summer, but we travel, do some things, but I just didn't feel comfortable uh, with the conversations that I was hearing. I'm 65, so I came up... Um, when the gay population exploded and got their rights and everything. Uh, you know, I, believe, I, live by, I live by the Bible and the Constitution. You know, this is America. And the Bible doesn't overrule the Constitution in America. It's, it'd be nice, but it's just not the way it is, you know. So I go along with that because the Bible supports loving everybody. There's nobody that the Lord said don't love. And... I think when you love in the purity of your heart, people who are hurting, uh, human service. So even being a pastor, I've worked in social work, DHS, what have you. And so, you know, I've met the people who've been hurting, and usually it wasn't their fault. They were victims who became victimizers, you know. That's just the way it is. Um, but we have to love them where they are. And I call the church a hospital where people come to get healing. You know, the Bible does heal you know everything works in the christian faith um so i was unpopular when i stopped going to the conference um stopped hanging out with the guys uh i didn't want to do the things they were doing and as a matter of fact if i'm going to sin i don't want a crowd of witnesses oh! <laughs> jack that just makes sense and it's and it, it became, it's like a frat it's, it becomes like a frat piece you know going to parties and doing things that i'm just not going to do you know uh, i love women I'm single now. I've been, look, I've been celibate or abstinent 13 years and two months. So, that's I've been problem. celibate since high school. And I don't know how old you are. 24. So. But not on purpose. Okay, well, I don't know. You don't have, you got, you got, you got a nature, you got to do something to stop not acting out your sexual desires. I've learned how to do that. Okay, because uh, of the broken heart stuff, you know, relationships. But, but just back to the ministry, I have, I was rejected. Oh, also because I work with the Muslim community. Okay. Now, we might not have, we might have doctrinal distinctions, but if you're going to walk, work shoulder to shoulder with me to help our people, young men, hook in school, starting to do drugs, get them back in school, get them to have a vision for their lives trade or college, academic, whatever, but just get them on one of those paths with jobs, that's the better work. I'm not going to argue with you if you're Muslim about how we're going to, we're pretty much going to agree on how to change the lives. I didn't have problems with it. I did it in the Northeast, in Frankfurt, um, with the Mayor's Office of Community Service, and had an impact, had a basketball league going, had a youth group coming. Uh, we got a generation of people who, young men in particular, who don't have a vision about their lives. When I was young, I wanted to be a policeman at first. It changed, you know, lawyer, 
then pastor, preacher, you know, I got called. So I'm saying, but I had a vision. But I had a father in my life, though. And I think that was it. And so I try to be a father. I have a father tone. They see me as a father, you know. But I give them respect. I say, may I say this? I see something I can help you with. But if you tell me to kick rocks, I'll walk. Yeah. They never tell me to walk, Jack. Jack! <laughs> they hear my heart. You hear what I'm saying? So that's... I'm falling into your voice right now. Yeah, because... It's really about right, connecting with people from the heart. You can't fool people. There might be some naive, but, you know, I do this from here, and things are going well. When you are navigating maybe those lost relationships of the people you left at the conference, uh, how do you approach either rebuilding those relationships or leaving them behind and relying on new people? Or maybe for you, God. I'll just... I'm willing to apologize for anything I might have done to hurt you, to make, to mend the fence, right? But if you don't want to do that, I can't help you. It's not that I'm doing that for you and I to have peace, but I'm having more peace with God because the Bible says confess it to him, you did wrong, and you're cool. But, but it's even better when you go to that person you hurt and try to make peace. If they don't want to, God's not holding you responsible for their choice, for their decision. That's where I live my life. And so, um, this is this guy, just recently, just popped in my head. This is gonna really get you, maybe. Okay. I know this guy about 20 years at least. And I had invited him over for breakfast with a, with a friend of mine, he's my attorney, uh, but a, he's also a close friend. I invited them both over for breakfast. Salmon and eggs and, you know, things like that, coffee and juice. And we're sitting in the breakfast room, they were sitting in the breakfast room, I was in the kitchen cooking. We were talking, and this guy remembered some 30 years ago, maybe, we were at a party. And I met this woman. I didn't know it was his girlfriend. But the way I must have looked at her. <laughs> Wait a minute, Jack. Jack, this is what got me. We're talking about at least 30 years ago, right? Check this out. He was hot. It's not like it was a long time ago. I wouldn't have held it that long. Or he had maybe some major love for him. Well, he said it was his girlfriend, so maybe so. But he was so upset that I felt very compelled to apologize, man. And I made sure. I kept asking him over and over again, brother, do you believe me? Do you believe me, bro? Because, I mean, the fury that you just expressed. I said, man, I heard his heart. That's what I'm looking for. I listen to the heart. It's not so much the voice. His eyes. Bob, Bob. You know, I was trying to get, he said at the time he was trying to get my attention, but I was looking at her. Uh-huh. I didn't care what he was saying. And I think he said, he said, I was trying to tell you that's my girl. Well, she was fine. <laughs> she was a beautiful thing. But I didn't How did the move. conversation even come up? The story from 30 years yeah, ago at breakfast? Yeah. Well, when you, when you get some men together, we're going to talk about women. <laughs> that's the major piece. That's a major conversation, you know, especially with me. I'm talking about love and loving right. I try to teach men how to love women like Christ loved the church. Well, um, a decision that I made was to take my hobby in voiceover and try to pursue it semi-professionally because... Um, I'd always had a had a passion for for voiceovers, and I was wanting to get into voice acting, but 
I, uh, I don't have an acting background, so I've had to try to find my way to work my way up to it. And although I did not get any real initial support, once I started doing the research into what it takes to get into it and, um, where, and, and, and where and how to invest you know, my resources smartly, I started turning some heads around. But, of course, as they say, talent can only get you so far. You have to be willing to invest and put in the training and look, to, look for your mentors as much as your mentors will find you. And what would your ideal voiceover job be? Ooh, ideal voiceover job. Um, well, honestly, uh, to um, have the same beginnings as uh, many of the people I look up to doing voiceovers in uh, anime and working my way up into video games. Although, of course, um, I, I'm always happy to get into radio and commercial and advertisements in between so far. And I have been lucky to do at least one or two, um, as well as some audio dramas here and there. So, uh, again, well on my way. But ideally, that's where I'd like to be and maybe even be the voice of Spider-Man one day. His eyes just went big. I saw the dream flash before his eyes. Um, <laughs> more like, I can't believe I just said that out loud, that, that last part. <laughs> uh. Have you seen the animated Spider-Man movie that's something called Into the Spideyverse? Oh yes, um, I have. Big fan, I can't wait for the sequel. Well, I watched it recently with one of my closest friends, and my favorite line, which I think applies to you, is when the father says, I see a spark in you. Oh man, that, that means I really do. Thank you. <laughs> Whew. Probably moving to Philadelphia. Kind of a boring answer, I'm sure, but yeah, no, like I'm from Lancaster County originally, and everyone is scared. Uh, are, you, are you like a clean podcast? No, you can curse. Okay, everyone was scared shitless of like, <laughs> like you, you go to Philly like for the night, and then you get the hell out, and everyone like thinks that, everyone just assumes that it's a war zone out here, and you come to a place like Rittenhouse, and it's just, just, just people doing it anything and everything and it's utterly fascinating and it's it's almost a shame you know that a lot of people don't get to experience that or they don't understand it my mom made the same exact decision as you in the 1980s their whole family's from lancaster so yeah all mennonites grew up around horse and buggies so what was your adjustment like when you first arrived here yeah, it took a lot of a lot of getting used to. I mean, one just having a public transit system kind of blew my mind. Um, but yeah, like you said, like I grew up with horses and buggies just going down the side of the road, and it's like it's just a completely different world, you know. And I mean, you know, yeah, I mean, not everything's easy out here, but you know, again, it's just it, I feel like you see more of life out here versus you know going, you know, taking your car from one place to another. You know, parking lot to parking lot, and that's your whole life. I feel like that's, I feel like you miss out on a lot that way, you know? I'm glad I became a vegetarian. Okay, and when did you make that decision? 20 years ago, over 20 years ago. Actually, 40 years ago, I'm sorry, 40 years ago. And what has the impact of only eating vegetables had on your life? I don't feel heaviness. 
I feel light. Um, uh, I was gonna say bowel movement. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I was getting what? Bowel movements are very important to me. I know you're supposed to have every time you eat, you're supposed to have a bowel movement. That means your colon is clean. You're not having all. Yeah. She's talking holistic right now. And I see you're dressed in a medical shirt. Are you a medical professional? That yes, I'm a cook and also medical. That's both of my careers that I love to do. So very involved in poop. Yes. Yes. Okay, and who initially didn't support you becoming a vegetarian? My husband. My husband. Why did he not support it? Oh, he supported it. I'm sorry. He supported it 100% because he was a vegetarian. Yeah. He was your converter. Yes. Well, what he taught me, I read. I had plenty of books to back it up. And what he taught me, I seen it was true. So I'm a living proof that this this does work. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, um, blah, blah, blah. That is what I hear. This is Greta Van Sachs. (laughs) It's blah, blah, blah. That is all I hear. The world is dying. Okay. So, well, I used to be a magician, so I'm very attracted to anything related. Okay, so... What's a decision you're glad you made that not many people supported at the time? To be a juggler. To be a juggler. Okay, and when did you make that decision? Oh, when I was like uh, early on, like 13, 14. And who didn't really support this? Well, it's not that they didn't support it. They didn't understand what it was at the time because... When I learned, it was a long time ago. It was 40-plus years ago. So, and nobody really was doing it at the time. So, luckily, there was a guy I found in the alleyway. I was practicing in the alleyway, and I didn't know any jugglers. I was just learning through books. So, a little girl was little kids. Like, little kids come here and watch me, like this little boy. Who was the person in the alleyway you were about to talk about? It was this little girl, and she said, my uncle does that. And I said, what? And she says, my uncle does that. He has this stuff. He has this and clubs, and he has balls, and he has rings. I said, really? I said, well, do you live close by? She says, yeah, I live a couple blocks over. I says, well, could you tell him to come by when I'm practicing? And she goes, sure. So a few days later, I was out in the alleyway, and a middle-aged man, or I thought he was middle-aged, he was probably in his late 20s maybe, he seemed a lot older, came with a a paper bag. And he says, are you Mike? I'm the uncle of the little girl. And uh, he had professional clubs. He had, like, these tennis balls, but they were filled. It was, like, professional balls. And he had professional clubs and professional rings. And he started doing tricks I never saw before. And he was like, watch this one, watch this one. I can do five. I can do, you know, I, at the time I could barely do four. I was only 12 years old and, or 13. I was like 13 probably because I had been juggling for about a year by myself and on, with books and stuff. 
So he said, why don't you go? There's a club that started up. And you go downtown at the art museum. You know where the art museum is? They juggle up there every Monday night. So my dad drove me there. And then that's where I saw, I was like, oh my God, all these other jugglers. Because we didn't have the internet. All we had was television. I had books. So this guy clued me in and he says, oh, and there's a professional juggling troupe that performs. They're called Give and Take Jugglers in Philadelphia. And then they, they have a, we have a convention, a juggling convention. And he introduced me to the guy that sold the professional juggling stuff. His name was Odd Andy. His, his, company, uh, his company name is Odd Andy, Andy's Odd Sports. And he sold boomerangs and whips and juggling equipment and knives to throw. And it's called Andy's Odd Sports. So then Andy took me under his wing. I went over his house. He lived over in Balakinwood. And I started going to the club. And in about a year, I became one of the best jugglers there. And in a two or three years, I was performing doing birthday parties and my father was in the Knights of Columbus he got me to do benefits for um, uh, mentally handicapped kids and handicapped children and then I met other people who wanted me to do shows And for people who have a hobby like this that's very niche and maybe they feel lonely and deciding whether or not to continue what would you say to them oh yeah well that's I think that the problem nowadays, although I'm not, I'm sort of skirting your question. The problem nowadays, because of the internet and because of the influx of all the information that we're getting, we're, I think it's too much. And so what I would say to people is the opposite. Get away from that stuff. Take a walk in nature hang out with your family get close to your family and family unit don't follow crazy internet trends and get get carried away with the internet and have them it's like an exterior thing is you gotta always be on okay always check in with this be on there and you know you'll learn keep learning you must follow your heart and like i said i guess i must have gotten lucky because all the things that happened to me to become this seem to just happen naturally. So I decided that I was going to play roller derby at the age of 40. And a lot of people told me I was crazy and I was too old and I was going to break a hip. And my rationale was I always wanted to try it. I'd been a spectator for a while but I thought it might be fun to actually do it and get into the community. Um, And, you know, I wasn't going to get any younger. So I played roller derby for two years, and I still miss it more than I miss some people. What is the kind of impact roller derby and just the act of doing something taboo, how has that impacted your life? Uh, Well, I have like a 9-to-5 corporate job, 
And so it gave me a lot of satisfaction to sit in some of these meetings where people thought that maybe they were smarter than me or tougher than me. And I knew that I could knock them over and they would never <laughs> see it coming. <laughs> so that was fun. And sometimes I would mention it in meetings and it would get me a little bit more respect. Thank you so much, participants. Those answers were awesome. I had a lot of fun doing it. And if you continue listening, you'll hear my answer. Uh, Word of warning, if you're a family member or someone who doesn't want to hear the strange side of Jackaroo, then turn off the podcast and call it a day. So back in college, when I was still sharing emails with a newsletter, uh, I emailed a drawing of a pooping butthole. (laughs) This doesn't sound good, does it? Sounds like a bad decision. (laughs) Um, But I will give it context. So I made a comic book called crowning in winter and it's about a boy walking down a busy urban street in the middle of winter so he's all bundled up coat thick socks basically wearing a ski mask so you can only see his eyes and he really has to go to the bathroom specifically poop but there are no public restrooms so he has to hold it in and there are these scenes around him that are kind of egging him on to poop, like uh, a cement truck is spewing out concrete to form a sidewalk. Uh, These boys are pushing the crosswalk button on the corner, and there's a robotic voice coming out saying, We want to help you, we want to help you, which was inspired by a real crosswalk uh, in the town where I went to college. So in the early phases of planning this comic book, I was naturally doodling butts and poop, and sometimes poop coming out of butts. And I included one of these silly doodles in the email newsletter that announced my comic book release, just to show people (laughs) how it started. And my parents were horrified when they opened that. Partly because both of my grandmothers were on that email list. And partly because they worried I wouldn't have a chance of getting a job after college if I shared stuff like that. They're aware that our online identities are available to anybody. So how was I going to do in an interview if the boss suddenly pulled up a drawing of a pooping butthole right next to my name? And my classmates had the opposite reaction. They thought it was hilarious, and they were glad that I put something so ridiculous out there. So I'm glad I made the decision because it was one of the countless reminders I need that art is subjective and humor is subjective. But I'm still so unsure about 
how much of myself and how much of these personal activities to share online ideally sharing silly things like this will help me find people that are just as silly as me but i also see that you don't want one aspect of your online identity to have too much weight when someone is just searching for you really quickly Vielen, vielen Dank for listening all the way through. Once again, you can subscribe to receive the Cafe Ribbit newsletter. Just go to caferibbit.com and enter your email in the form. You'll receive podcast interviews like this one, original recipes from readers, and my artwork. Bye, bye.